With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty. And for this very, very special episode of the NBA playoffs, and this preview is going to be very fun because I have a longtime guest, my, my friend, one of the first collaborators, actually the first collaborator on my podcast, Brad Tunney, now working at ESPN 100.9. He is a program manager and the Great Lakes Loon play-by-play broadcaster, Lance Cruz alumni, and the reason I got into podcasting. Brad Tunney, how you doing, sir? Not too bad, man. How about yourself? Man, I've been I've been doing good, you know, just uh just staying away with the podcasting grind and uh finishing up my, my last year at Michigan State. It's it's been a while. I mean we, we talk off and on, but it's been a while since we've been actually able to collaborate on something. Definitely. And I know the the school grind is hard when you're trying to develop your own content. Everyone, you know, goes through that. And, uh, once the, once you get done with school, obviously it'll be a lot better, a lot easier, a lot more time to focus on things. Yeah, man. I'm excited. This is the first time you've been on the podcast since I named it. And back then I didn't even have a name. Yeah. And I, I catch, uh, I catch every once in a while, a a strictly hoop talk. Like if it's a, if it's a topic that I'm interested in, uh, specifically during the NBA season, not not as well versed in the hip hop world, but uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome, man. Yeah, no problem, no problem. I I appreciate that. That's why I have both. You know, if one doesn't work, I got the other to fall back. Right, <laughs> right. Um, all right. So we are gonna just go through each NBA playoff series and kind of give what we think is our key factor for that series, and then make a prediction. Um, so. I'm not just doing this because of because it's the Pistons, but let's start let's start in the East and we'll go one eight two seven three six and then and then four five and we'll just kind of go in that order for each conference. So Bucks Pistons, um, to me, you know, this is going to be a very interesting interesting matchup in the fact that that I just really want to see what the Bucks are about. People have their have their doubts but I don't have my doubts about the Bucks just because of the fact that they have upgraded from a non-factor as a head coach to a, a, an elite head coach so I think that's going to make all the difference in the world um I do just wonder Brad do you think do you think the Brogdon and Miritich injuries slowed them down at all in this series or or not or not really not in this series truthfully if the Bucks wanted to they could beat the Pistons by double digits every game and I hope yeah. they do uh, speaking from a Pistons fan perspective, I didn't. I mean, I'm I'm not really on the side of them making the playoffs. It's not something that I favor or agree with or 
um, wanted them to do. I was openly and you know passionately cheering for the Knicks on the final day of the regular season. As crazy <laughs> as that seems, but they're in. So like, I guess you could say, well, if you're a true Piston fan, you should be cheering for them, and like that's fine. But at the same time, I'm also an NBA fan. I certainly don't want to see the Pistons in the second round of the NBA playoffs because <laughs> it's not a very good basketball team. Oh man, right, right away, bringing me back down to reality. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, uh, I was, I was an advocate for the Pistons making the playoffs, but I agree with you that, um, that we definitely shouldn't be rooting to see the Pistons in, in the second round. I will say though, I will say though, as somebody who purchased Game Three tickets, that I, <laughs> I, I don't want to see a sweep, but if, but it's most likely going to happen. The only way the Pistons win a game is if. Is it Blake outplays Giannis in a game and Drummond is the clear third best player? That's the only way uh, Detroit would would even get a game in this series. Definitely, and the way that Drummond's been playing, it's not crazy to yeah. say that. But but the thing is, like more times than not, I think Milwaukee's probably got the two best players on the floor, Middleton and Giannis, and that's no disrespect to Blake, but I just don't know how healthy he is going into this series. Yeah. And then Eric Bledsoe is very overlooked and if they did have Brogdon he'd be better than anyone outside of Drummond and Griffin so like if you had to rank like the top eight guys on the two rosters the Pistons only have two of them and that's yeah that's well that's what happens most nights outside of Drummond and Griffin the, the team is just so bad yeah I I agree with that one quick question before before we move on um you know Drummond has always and I'm sure you know this Brad has always struggled with stretch bigs and Brook Lopez is the is is the antithesis of that so I I so I don't know what I don't know what the Pistons do about Giannis either like who who guards who guards Giannis in this series for Detroit just out of curiosity I don't I don't know if like Thon Maker is a guy you want to try on him like being a former teammate and just having that length and mobility to do it. And I know like Thon has had to start games since the Blake injury, but Thon is like just not a starting NBA player. And unfortunately the Pistons start three guys that wouldn't start on really any other playoff team in the NBA. So you're just going to have those matchups. And when the NBA playoffs come around, it's like, you know, one-on-one matchups are so key. So the fact that Giannis truly has nobody on the other side for the Pistons, that's going to man him. Like sure, in the paint, can Drummond be a little bit of a, of a, of to contest him a little bit? Sure, but Blake is not big enough to stay with Giannis, and even if Blake does stay with Giannis, it takes away from his offensive ability. So yeah, I just don't know how much you could ask Blake to do. Yeah, especially because, like you said, he's hobbled, and and Drummond, I don't even know how much he'll be able to help at the rim because of Brook Lopez stretching the floor. So ultimately, it's going to be a very challenging series for Detroit. Detroit, obviously. Um, matches up poorly with the Bucks, and so I have the Bucks in five again. That's probably just because I spent I spent fifty bucks on a ticket, so that's probably the only reason I have them in five, not four. Uh, do you have this as a sweep? Yeah, I mean, I I think it it should be a sweep. I guess you just never really know in the first round if a team's going to take a game off, specifically yeah. that game three when they come back yeah. uh, to Detroit. So. It should be a sweep. I mean, it was a sweep during the regular season when they outscored them by like 15 a game. And I mean, they're talent wise, coaching wise, they're just not close. So yeah. it could be a sweep, but you're, you're right. It may just, they may sneak one in there. Okay. Let's jump to Toronto, Orlando. Uh, 
we finally get to see if Terrence Ross can ball in the playoffs all this year about all, all these years about him talking talking about just being a playoff player and we finally get to see it um I have Raptors in four to be quick with this one because I expect Orlando to play good defense. They've, they have the number three defense in the NBA since uh, since February 1st, and they've been 21-9 and nine in their last 30 games, so they've been unbelievable. But, uh, but that being said, they just don't have the firepower the Raptors have, and the Raptors are every bit as good when locked and loaded, if not better on defense. So I, I just I don't see what advantage Orlando has. Orlando's main advantage, their main hub of offense is Niko Vucevic and he's going to have Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka on him and that's a, that's going to be tough for him to deal with on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively all series long. So I just, I, I, I struggle to see how Orlando can get a game other than maybe they get that, like you said, with the Pistons, that energetic third game three win when they're just, when the atmosphere is at its highest because Orlando hasn't been in the playoffs in a while. Yeah, I, I can't think of a less interesting first-round matchup, not only at these playoffs, but in a while. Like, Toronto, yeah. when it comes to, like, interest, yeah, Kawhi is nice, but doesn't give you anything pre- or post-game. And, uh, like, Pascal Siakam is is probably my favorite player to watch in this series. Um, yeah. But otherwise, like, Orlando is such an uninteresting team and just another team that, like, what the hell are you doing making the playoffs? Like, get yourself <laughs> back in the lottery and figure it out. I know they can't draft well, but – just a, a franchise even more so than the Pistons maybe that have just no direction. And if I'm an Orlando Magic fan, I'm just as peeved about making the playoffs as 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 a Detroit Pistons fan. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, it's hard, to be fair in their defense, it's hard to out-tank the Chicago Bulls, the New York Knicks, and the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> right, right. And you, got, you get a little unlucky because, yeah. uh, because Vucevic is in a contract year, so he's playing his tail off and like, was maybe a top 15 guy, top 10 guy even in the league this year and just carried them to 42 wins with, with some decent coaching and, you know, and, and just a bad bottom half of the Eastern conference, but like the bucks and the Pistons and then the, the Raptors and the magic in round one snore city. Yeah. Yeah. But it sets up, it sets up some good round twos though. That's the thing I, I love about mm-hmm. these. That's the, that's the thing about the East is the East gets really good starting round two. Um, Number three and six matchup, we got Philly at the three seed versus Brooklyn, the sixth seed. And Bede is questionable to play at least game one, but Elton Brand seemed to have since kind of walked that back and state that Embiid will be ready, but there's no real official word yet. Um, to me, the thing about this series that, if anything, makes it interesting is that the Nets' guards are kind of, are, are tough for Philly just because Philly struggles against guards. But usually the guards that Philly struggles against are like the extremely shifty ones because they have Ben Simmons at point guard who's a, who's a monster athlete of his own. But he, he just can't handle those super shifty Steph Curry-like, Kyrie Irving-like guards. And, you know, neither D'Angelo Russell nor uh, Spencer Dinwiddie are that shifty. They're, they're crafty guards, but they're, not, but they're not shifty in that sense. So I still think... People are trying to make this a series, Brad. Like I don't know if you've been listening to other platforms, but they've been talking about about Brooklyn just as this as this team that really has a shot to maybe even upset Philly in the first round. I don't see this, man. I see this as a as a sweep as well because I just don't see what this series can what uh, Brooklyn can do about Embiid if he's healthy, and then beyond that, 
it's it's like it's like Milwaukee, right? It's like Milwaukee, Detroit, where Philly has like the next several best players, all respect to D'Angelo Russell. Right. So I actually I like the Nets a lot, but not enough to beat the Sixers in the first round, especially if the Sixers can give me all five of their guys to play. Like in the playoffs, the the, the Sixers are built for the playoffs in that. Yeah. With with shortened benches, uh, if if you've only got to go six deep, seven deep. There's not many teams that are going to beat that that starting five with with all five of them healthy. Like, and and I don't know if I'm as confident as you are with the Elton Brand comments about Embiid. I just don't trust anything that comes out of that team medically. Yeah, um, fair. <laughs> so, but but at the same time, like those five together have proven that they're as good as anybody in the league in terms of their net rating and plus minus and everything else. So, I can like the players on the Nets all I want. You know, D'Lo and Jared Allen specifically and uh, Karis LeVert. But I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a team that's got, you know, f- three and a half all-stars compared to a team that truly shouldn't have had a single one this year in the net. So talent wise, it's just not really that close. Yeah, e- exactly. And you know, the thing about the nets too, is uh, Jared Allen has absolutely been dominated by Embiid uh, in the play- in the regular season, I should say. Embiid posting just crazy numbers against him. I think his average against Jared Allen in the Nets is thirty is thirty and fourteen. So he's been just absolutely cooking. Ed Davis as well doesn't uh, gets credit for that. But you know the Nets. The thing about the Nets has been, and not to discredit them because they have been they have been a great story. They've been uh, they've been this fun team to watch throughout the year, and the last couple years, truthfully, but. You know, a lot of what makes the Nets the the Nets, and, and a lot of where their wins come from is just being that team that plays hard on a on a Tuesday night back to back. They're that team that you just don't want to play when it's Tuesday and it's a back to back for you, and you got to go play the Brooklyn Nets who who fight hard the whole game. And uh, and that's a and that's a great quality to have. Don't get me wrong, but in the playoffs when it's when it's everybody's locked in everybody's focused there's time there's time of rest between games it's just a lot of the a lot of what makes the nets uh winnable or in the regular season just doesn't translate to the postseason in my eyes well yeah and that's the thing about a lot of these teams so like toronto for the last couple of years just played harder than you during the regular season whereas the real talented teams the real ones that are actually competing for titles like, yeah, only have to play like 50 nights a year during the regular season, if that, maybe 30 nights a year. You know, the Bucks and, and the Warriors and the Rockets and, you know, other true title contenders. Yeah. All right, let's jump. So what you, I didn't hear an official prediction from you, actually. Uh, I had Philly in four. What did you have? I'll take Philly in five just because the Sixers are immature and seem like they don't play every night. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true, and and with Embiid's status to be determined, that's uh, that that's probably a safe bet. Indiana, Boston. Now, this is another series that people are really, really hyping up. Um, the Pacers' bigs, I think, will be a problem for the Celtics. You know, Turner versus Horford is the key matchup because Horford is so vital on both ends of the floor. Turner's been rightfully so a defensive player of the year candidate. But I just expect Horford to just the veteran mindset, the higher IQ to just dominate that matchup. And the fact that no one can touch Kyrie. Smart's injury hurts the Celtics, but not in this series because Indiana doesn't really have anybody that's that's super important to guard. Like, I don't even feel confident in Bogdan's uh, recent play translating just because of the next level elite athleticism required to be in the playoffs. 
I, I just I see him I see him as a good scorer. Don't get me wrong. I think he can get 15, 20. He'll probably get 20 plus for them because he is their their main scoring option. But I don't expect it to be efficient. So I'm not really worried about anybody scoring on offense for Indiana. And then at the same time, who can guard Kyrie? So I have Celtics in five. But people seem to be like Bill Simmons. Everybody in the world seems to be worried about Indiana. Am I am I overreacting? I don't think so. Simmons has been a hack for the last couple of months with the way that the Lakers <laughs> collapsed. I, I I used to love that guy and the way he's carried himself now with with the the Celtics being kind of a, a disappointment this season on top of the fact that the Lakers tanked out. Like That guy's just been insufferable for a couple of months now. But beside mm-hmm. that point, um, I, I just I don't like the Celtics. Like I think of the top four teams where we all thought they were close going into the season, going into the season, they're far and away the worst out of the four talent wise. Like I, I always tell people, like if you just simply throw throw like credentials onto a board, the only guy they've got is Kyrie. Like Jason Tatum has been pretty bad this year. Jalen yeah. Brown has been pretty bad this year. Like. Those guys have regressed since what were great rookie years and sophomore years. And it, they just have a lot of like C plus B minus players. And for me, that's just not sexy enough in the playoffs. And I can, I can love Brad Stevens and think he's maybe the second best coach in the NBA all I want. And, um, and how the Sixers, since, you know, they pushed Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown to the bench, like in late November, or whenever that was, they've got like a top five plus minus in the league. And even, with their slow start, still a, a like the sixth best plus minus in the league. So the analytics will tell you they're solid. I just talent wise, I can't wrap my head around how they even have much more talent than Indiana without Victor Oladipo. But with saying all of that, better coach, best player on the floor, home court advantage. I think the Celtics either do it in six or seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you know, you, you bring up an interesting point about the Celtics roster because I was somebody coming into the year that was big on them. You know, I, the, the narrative to go off that was easy was, Hey, this team was one game away from the NBA finals and they're adding essentially Kyrie and Gordon Hayward because Kyrie was out for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and so then I, I really, really um, bought into that. But then, you know, obviously seeing Gordon Hayward, like it's going to take time for him. Paul George's season this year shows that it's possible to come back from something like that, but it might take a lot longer time than people are willing to admit. And, you know, just just after watching this year, the talent doesn't, not only is the talent not on par with Toronto, um, Toronto, Philly, and uh, Milwaukee, excuse me, but also it doesn't fit well, right? Like Hayward needs the ball in his hands. Kyrie needs the ball in his hands. Tatum needs the ball in his hands. You know, Jalen Brown wants the ball in his hands. So it's like, so it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a very tough team to kind of mesh with, and and actually just personnel wise, like they just don't fit. Not only is the talent not there, but even even their best players just don't fit well in my eyes. Yeah, and and I'd agree with that. And you know, I think it's almost a misconception that all these guys need the ball when. If they were on any other team, they're just role players. But for some reason, because they play for the Celtics, they're they're seen as like they're seen as like decent players. Like Jason Tatum has not been anything more than average this year, and neither is Jalen Brown. Really, he's been like below average for any NBA role player. So I love Jason Tatum as much as the next guy last year, especially with the way he played in the playoffs. He's just been a disappointment in his sophomore year. And 
no Marcus Smart, who you could probably say is what their third best player most nights when he's healthy behind Horford and Irving. But again, if you just like throw names at a wall or throw like where you consider these individual guys on a wall, like for me, Kyrie's not a top 10 player in the league. Al Horford's not a top 20 guy in the league. So, you know, in the playoffs, when it's best player on the floor, there's probably six teams in the Eastern conference alone that have a better player, you know, all teams that are ahead of, uh, ahead of Boston. First of all, if Victor Oladipo is healthy for Indiana, like no, I feel like I'm throwing shade at Kyrie, but like, I think they're close when, when Oladipo is healthy. And like D'Lo, if you put the nets against the Celtics, like D'Lo is going to have a night that's better than Kyrie's in a series too. So, um, you know, I'm kind of a, a Kyrie hater, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I just I just don't get how the talent works there, and I think it's all the credit to Brad Stevens, but eventually you've got to have the talent on the floor. Exactly, exactly, and that's why, and that's why again, I I see them I see them moving on this series just because of, unfortunately Indiana's uh, circumstance with Victor Oladipo had had Victor Oladipo been in a series, I think it could have been a very very interesting series. But um, but yeah, Boston. I I have Boston moving on to the next round. Let's jump to the West. We got the Warriors and the Clippers. This one um, is going to be another quick one to talk about. The, the the only thing I'm interested in, Brad, and maybe you're interested in this series more than I am. The only thing I'm interested in is because we all know the Clippers are preparing for this offseason to go for Kawhi and all the big names. I'm curious to see how these Clippers players play in the playoffs, like. Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Dino Gallinari, these players that are going to be pitched as the side pieces to the star, as the role players. I'm curious to see how they play in the playoffs. That's really the only thing interesting about this series in my eyes. Same. I think the 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 Clippers maybe not sexy, but they're cute, right? Like yeah. uh you know, they've especially say Shea Gilders Alexander, who for me is the most interesting guy on the roster. And while he was still a below average guy in the league this year, a, a negative net rating, a below average PER, his box plus minus was in the negative, but um, you know, he's getting an opportunity as a guard that's well built for the NBA. And now we get to see him like in standalone games, as opposed to during the regular season where I don't know how many Clippers games I'm truly tuning in for, but mm-hmm. you know, now we get to watch the Clippers against the obviously the ultimate stretch three and D pace and space uh, team in the Warriors. And how does SGA play against them? And like you said, you know, Gallinari, Harrell, like those are all plus players. I think people forget that or not forget, but just don't realize that. Yeah. While the Clippers like traded away Toby and, and everybody else, like Gallinari is like a plus plus player. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And Montrose Harrell with the way he played this year is a plus player. Like, there was a case to be made that Gallinari maybe should have been an all-star in the West this year. And if he was in the East, probably would have been an all-star. So you just got to kind of, I guess, be careful when I have friends talk about the Clippers and being like this, this dumpster fire of a, of a roster. It's like, I kind of like their pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do too, man. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. Like I, I like the way they fit and also just, I like the way uh, I like them all individually as well. And I think that I, I could see, I could project and understand and see how these players would play with all with a superstar around them. But that being said, this is the time to this is the time to really see how they play at the highest level of play. And, you know, this will be a great indicator. And I think if they 
you know, if they just have good games from some of these players that we that we mentioned, I think that goes e- an even further um, an even further way in helping in helping the case of landing a star because you know you can all of a sudden pitch with this Clippers team like they want the two max slots to get uh, to get two guys and then beyond that they want to retain a lot of their players. That's their ultimate plan, but. Even if they don't, I mean, you can see guys like Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Gallinari. You can see those guys sliding and fitting great among a star like a Kawhi Leonard. And so I'm, I'm just really excited to see what they do in the playoffs. But that being said, I don't think this is going to be a particularly close uh, series by any means. Uh, I have the Warriors in four. What's your like official prediction for it? Warriors in four if they wanted to by 20 every night. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this is the one that's interesting. So this is, to me, the most interesting first-round matchup. Uh, the Nuggets versus Spurs. It's the perfect storyline. It's the NBA storyline that we've been dreaming about for the last month when we've been looking at the seedings. It's the story of the up-and-comer versus the veteran squad. These two teams are very even since January 1st. Teams uh, hold near identical with the Nuggets holding slight edges in offensive and defensive ratings. To me, Brad, what comes down to this, what the series comes down to is the front court. The Spurs have always struggled with athleticism, but the Nuggets front court outside of Plumlee doesn't have that. And that's huge for a player like Aldridge. He's not going to be played off the floor due to elite athleticism. And so you can even argue that the Spurs have the more athletic front court of the of the two teams. And so I'm I'm really I'm really thinking that that's going to be the key advantage. Denver plays well at home. They're the number one record in the league at 34 and seven. While the Spurs are minus nine on the road at 16 and 25. So, uh, so there's a big advantage there. But that being said, I'm going Spurs in seven just because I, again, I think the front court's going to be a real issue for the Nuggets. And then also the fact that they're that their go-to shot creator Jamal Murray's been inconsistent. That's going to be tough for a young team when their backs against the wall. They need a bucket. They're going to give the ball to Murray to try and get something, but they're not going to be confident in that because he's been up and down a roller coaster all season. And that's going to really be tough for a young team to overcome is not only are we in a situation, a new situation, but we're also in a situation where we're not totally confident in our own guy. Totally. And this is the toughest series for me, I think, because any any series with the Spurs is tough because you just – you just don't want to count them out, I guess. But at the same yeah. time, you know, Denver's a team that I can love all of their individual pieces a lot, especially that top three of Murray, Jokic, and Harris, and then just the veteran toughness and, and savviness of Millsap, who's still a decent player. Yeah. Um, but with saying that, I think the point that you bring up about, like, who takes the last shot for Denver, who's got the ball in his hands with, you know, two minutes left, in a tight game on the road in San Antonio. Like, I just don't know. I can't trust Jamal Murray in that situation because, one, he's just not efficient enough in in normal game situations. Like, just a 50 EFG and, like, doesn't shoot it from the field well enough. Um, And you trust San Antonio to defend their tails off in the playoffs. And then, like, what do you do? You give the ball to Jokic and let him bang with LaMarcus Aldridge uh, down the stretch? I I don't – I just don't know who has the ball down the stretch for Denver that I trust enough to be like, yes, go get me a bucket, and then also on the other end, defend your tail off and stop 
Aldridge or even DeMar DeRozan, who I think is a terrible basketball player. But uh, <laughs> so th- this series is interesting because it's going to be close, but it's very much like the Toronto Orlando series for me on the other side in that there just aren't many guys that I like watch that I like to watch play basketball for these two teams outside of like Jokic and Murray when they're on the floor together. Otherwise, like this may be the series that I don't catch any games in, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, but this is, Oh, go ahead. Give me, uh, give me the nuggets in seven. Okay. Nuggets in seven. Cause I think yeah. they, I think they have the best player in Jokic. Uh, the third best player in Gary Harris, maybe like, or, or Jamal Murray. I, I just don't know. Give me them in seven. I don't like it, but yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're pointing to anything, it's the home record. They've been elite at home. They're the number one. Uh, they have the number one home record in the league and the Spurs are minus nine on the road. So there's a huge differential in, um, in performances there. And with Denver holding home court, that could, that could be the advantage that swings it. But um, the thing I wanted to mention to you is you talk about DeMar DeRozan, and we all know that he's had he, his history and his struggles in the playoffs are well documented in Toronto. I have a like I'm curious to see if the if like somehow the Spurs magic just fixes that, and all of a sudden he's like he's like DeMar DeRozan in the regular season in the playoffs. Like I, I'm actually I'm actually really curious to see if the Spurs just like magically fix that with their with their San Antonio ways. That very well could be the case. And like the Spurs during the regular season fix him a little bit because they play such a slow pace. And that's one of my issues with them is like they just don't move the ball enough to in the playoffs get you enough possessions because they pace they play so slow. But that helps DeRozan. I never really considered DeRozan to even be like a top thirty guy in the league, and I still really don't. But he fits better in the Spurs system than really in any other system because he doesn't have to play fast. He doesn't have to be like overly efficient. He's still just an inefficient player. Um, and in the playoffs, I feel like that gets exploited a little more, but who yeah. knows? Yeah. All right. So this is a, this is the one where we disagree that finally the first one we disagree. A lot of the series haven't been, haven't been too tough, uh, but Nuggets Spurs, we got you got I got Spurs in seven. You got Nuggets in seven. Uh, let's jump to Portland OKC. OKC is interesting because they struggled the last like three weeks of the regular season before winning the last five games. Mm-hmm. But they should be the favorite, you know, given the star power, the injury to Nurkic, plus CJ McCollum's been uh, quietly struggling all season. If Paul George can get healthier, OKC's size and physicality should dominate Portland. And the thing I'm looking for is Cantor, Damian Lillard, pick and roll on defense will get absolutely torched by OKC. Um, th- those are kind of the keys to me is just is just the fact that o- OKC is bigger, more athletic, and also that Cantor, Dame pick and roll, which is going to have to play substantial minutes in this series, is going to be absolutely torched. like you talked about earlier in the podcast with matchups, that is a matchup that is just, that just bolds terrible for Portland. Yeah, I, I would I I would be in lockstep with everything you just said there. Portland for me is another team that I just don't fully understand, and that I think I think Damian Lillard is a hell of a basketball player. Like, could you could make an argument that he's a top ten guy in the league? That's fine, but outside of him, I thought Nurkic was probably the second best player on this team during the regular oh, yeah, season before definitely. he got hurt. Like like better than C J McCollum. Yeah. And 
So you lose your second best player. You're already undersized as a roster anyway, and you're going up against a very tall, big, long, athletic, defensive group. So for me, and Portland has struggled in the playoffs, right? So give me Oklahoma City with a little bit of momentum down the stretch, like you said, winning their last five. And I think OKC wins wins in six at their home. You maybe split in Portland. You take two, you drop one in game five, and then finish it off in game six. Um, mm. And and I think when it comes down to it, at least this season, Paul George, probably the best player on the floor between the two yep. teams. And if, and if it does come down to it, like last two minutes, again, bringing that up, you know, Damian Lillard is, is manned by Paul George. And you like that matchup defensively for the Thunder. And on the other side, who is guarding Paul George off the bounce? Oh, is it Al Farouk Aminu? Like, sure, he's a decent defender, but g- give me George on both sides of the ball there. Yeah, that that's a very fair point. I'm I'm going OKC in five. I think Russ is going to shoot him out of one, just because Russ is Russ. But uh, but yeah, I I think I think OKC is a clear favorite. You bring up a great point about Paul George. Not only not only offensively, who's going to stop him? But also on defense, him guarding him guarding Dame, I think he could do a lot. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is just to watch is how much healthier could Paul George get. He's looked a little bit healthier this last week, and I'm hoping that the timing before the playoffs, also also with the with the space in between games in the playoffs, will will help him. But uh, I'm just putting this out there now, Brad, and I, I just want to see what you think of before we move on to the last series is. Uh, the way the seeding shakes out, the way the matchups shake out, OKC, uh, all of a sudden, a month ago, we were looking at them as the biggest threat to the Warriors in the West, and then that fell apart when they struggled. But now the way the seeding's played out, uh, I think they have a path to the Western Conference Finals again. I'm just putting that out there. Um, yes. Yeah, totally. And, and that's only because they missed Houston and Golden State before then. And, and Utah. And Utah, sure, if you like Utah. Yeah. But um, I, I would I would say at this point, OKC, if they can get past Portland, are probably going to end up in the in the conference finals. It, it just sucks that we won't get a Houston Golden State conference finals because that's what it should be. Yeah, yeah. All I'm all for. I'm sure you're all for it too, right? The one through sixteen seeds and just and just making it that instead of conferences. I guess. I, I don't know. I just haven't really considered it enough. I hate mm. the fact that, like, the Pistons are in the playoffs, like, <laughs> for, for my own personal bias. But at the same time, like, the Clippers are 14 games. They almost won 50 games this year in the eighth seed in the West. You know what I mean? Like, they get punished yeah. by winning almost 50 games, and the Pistons are over here like, you know, like, oh, yeah, we snuck in too. And it, Like, what if the Hornets would have made the playoffs and they were under 500 this year while Sacramento yeah. played their tail off and they finished with the same record and, and no dice? By the way, it's crazy. Side note, uh, we didn't talk about this at all, but uh, but the fact that the fact that Dave Yeager got fired for that season is absolutely maddening. Oh well, screw the Kings, like yeah, and, and screw <laughs> Vladi Divac, like he has no idea what he's what's going on over there, and you know, lucked into the Buddy Heald trade, and that that's worked out okay, and like sure made a decent pick with De'Aaron Fox and and Marvin Bagley, but no one knows what they're doing over there. They're so poorly run. Yeah, poorly run. All right, let's jump to the last series before you got to get going. Rockets versus Jazz. 
Um, the Rockets went 9-1 and one against the Jazz last year, playing them in the regular season and the playoffs. Uh, Jazz have an elite defense. They're peaking at the right time. I trust their offense more than last year. That was my big hip, uh, That was my big sticking point last year was I just didn't trust an offense that relied so much on a first-year player. And, you know, not to, not to any dismissal of Donovan Mitchell and what he's done, he's been fantastic, but just the fact that um, it's hard for a rookie player to run an offense, especially when he has that much of a, sh- of a, of a shoulder to burden. Uh, to me, it comes down to the C- Capella-Gobert matchup. That's huge. Gobert's been an elite player. He's an all-NBA player in my eyes. Um, Capella has to. Capella has not been. He struggled, but he's kind of rebounding better since uh, since the since the injury. Uh, Capella has to be has to be in at least the same ballpark as Gobert to help neutralize that advantage. If if uh, if Houston wants to win this series, um, Rockets defense isn't where it is last year. But if Harden doesn't fatigue. I think they should win this series, given the the best player, uh, the theory of having the best player in the playoffs, plus home court advantage, and Chris Paul. Depending on where he lands, he might be the second or he might be the fourth best player in the series. That's kind of an X factor as well. I got Rockets in six, but I don't feel confident with this. Where are you leaning on the series? I have no idea how many games the the Rockets are going to win this series, and they're going to win it. And I think it's almost a little overplayed that Utah is like this this analytics nightmare for teams because they, I mean, you know, fourth best strength of schedule rating uh, on basketball reference. You know, they've got a top five net rating, all this other stuff. But to me, they're a team that the analytics favor because of how good Rudy Gobert is. And the analytics typically favor bigs because of rebounding and how overvalued they are. Yeah. Um, but I still think Gobert, like you said, is an all-NBA guy. He deserves to be one of those top three centers this year. And in this series is the second-best player behind Harden. I think Donovan Mitchell is not the player that that like the national media thinks he is. I know we all fell in love with him last year. I just don't know if he's really anything more than like a – I just don't even know if he's any better than Devin Booker, truthfully. And and I think Booker is probably better right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, we fall in love with Donovan Mitchell, but if you just said, hey, the the Jazz have Devin Booker instead of Donovan Mitchell, would, would you know, national media even consider them to take a game off of Houston? I, I think Mitchell, like, gets hyped up as this, as like this star player, and he is just far from it in terms of, efficiency and his passing and so and defensively he's still kind of a liability like Gobert for me carries this team to a game or two just because of how good he is defensively and and I think a lot of Houston struggles this year are really not about themselves it's more so about how other teams do with with Harden like are they defending him like the Lakers did when they beat him in, in the second half of the season when you just sag off of him after he breaks through the three-point line because he is so deathly afraid of taking any shot that's not a three or a layup. And mm-hmm. it's almost instilled in the Rockets so much to not take mid-range jumpers. They almost like forget how to dribble a basketball in the mid-range. Like outside <laughs> of Chris Paul, like once they get inside the three-point line, they're like, what the hell do we do? Like, you know, like so Harden struggles sometimes. And that's why he fouled out of that game against the Lakers in the second half of the year that, that L.A. ended up beating them in. And 
I just I can't trust Chris Paul's health or how um you know engaged he is in in the game. I think Chris Paul is great. I think he's like a top 20, 25 guy all the time. I love him, but um with saying all of that, Harden is just so much better than everybody on the floor. He's going to get you 40 if he wants to, and he's going to win the series. And I guess to close out the thought, probably six. Okay. So, so you're with me. Good. That gives me some confidence because I didn't truthfully feel confident with Rockets in six. A lot of people are actually picking the Jazz in this series. And I just, again, I find it, I find it crazy. I think your points about Donovan Mitchell are great. Uh, you brought up his inefficiency, and I think – I think people gloss over the fact that Donovan Mitchell has had long, long stretches both seasons uh, that where he's been in major, major slumps, and he's also been consistently, consistently inefficient all all series, all season long, both seasons. So I just, I think, I think you bring up a great point about that, and that uh, that if that's your leader on offense. It's going to be tough to it's going to be tough to win some to win some games, especially against a team that's going to be elite and put up as many points as Houston Rockets do. Exactly, like I think Derek Favors is maybe a better player than Donovan Mitchell. That I mean, that's not actually, but like if you just like think about it, like Mitchell's a negative net rating this year, like an offensive rating of one hundred four, a defensive rating of one hundred seven. I know those numbers are not great when it comes to looking at catch all statistics, but. Like, Rudy Gobert's a plus 33 in that mark. He's got a 133 offensive rating. That's sickening. I mean... <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you know, you can't be a wing in today's NBA and, for me to like you, shoot 43% from the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you just can't do that. You can't have a below 50% EFG and be considered a true wing scorer just because you score 20 a game or, you know, 25 a game or whatever it is. Like... You're just Zach Levine or Devin Booker at that point, and those guys aren't considered all-stars the way that Donovan Mitchell is. Very very true. Very fair point. All right, Brad, you got to get going. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate it. It was great reconnecting with you. Um, I had fun talking hoops with you. And once again, man, I, I, I really enjoy this just for the simple fact that you were the one that got me into podcasting. The first podcast I ever did was when I was on your podcast. So, um so your your influence and your impact on me is, is great, and I appreciate all of it. Appreciate that, dude. I've been uh, I've been following obviously for the last couple of years. It sucks that it's taken this long to uh, to reconnect on air a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was fun. And thankfully, we didn't have to talk about the dumb players survey or uh, Paul Pierce <laughs> being a, a jack wagon. So that was good. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm not interested in all that, all that, <laughs> all that. You know, that regular season. Let's just stir up some drama type stuff. I'm, I'm just here for the basketball, man. Uh, well, sounds good, dude. All right, man. Take care, and I'll, and I'll, uh, I'll have you on the podcast again soon. All right. Sounds good, man. See you.